Happy New Year, everybody. Happy to, come on, just say, I made it. <laughs> come on. Some of y'all didn't think you were going to make it. You didn't think you'd be here, but here you are. Come on, God brought you through it. Um, hey, guys, uh, uh, kind of as, before we, we just go full speed ahead over the next few minutes, I want to pause and I want to look back really quickly um, because for some of you, you're, if you're new with us, you don't know how we kind of close out every year here at Victory. We do something called Christmas Gift to the World, and I want to give you all the Christmas Gift to the World updates. So uh, decades ago, we just made the decision here at Victory that we're going to close out every year giving our best gift to Jesus, not to each other, but give it to Jesus. And so what we do with those, uh, with those monies is we actually kind of usually divide it down the middle and Half goes global and half stays local to two different organizations. 100% goes outside of Victory. And uh, so if y'all recall, last year, I mean, really two years ago, we, we, man, God was churning. The economy was going. We actually had the highest Christmas gift of the world amount we had ever had. It was actually $798,000 two years ago. We, we kind of added a little bit more and we made it even $800,000. And so this, this last year as we went in and um, half was going globally to Benin, the other half was staying here locally to for tackle the shackles and uh, giving men and women a, a better second chance to not re-enter the prison system. Um, the economy's in a little bit of a different place. We're kind of a little bit different place. I kind of level set expectations, maybe 500,000, 600,000. Well, you guys and God did it again. We had the highest ever Christmas gift to the world offering, $825,000. Listen, guys, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so don't let your circumstances set the bar of what God can do in your life. God is well able to defy everything. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So much good is going to happen through those resources uh, for people who will never be able to say thank you this side of heaven. So just hear it from me today. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for generously giving. What a big deal. Just one more time. For real. Hey, all right. So I am, I don't know if excited is the right word. I am, I am pumped. I'm amped. I'm, I'm, I'm turnt. (laughs) For this next year, come on guys. I probably have a higher level of expectation and faith as we enter into this year about what God's going to do. Honestly, I was thinking about it probably more than any other year in my life is this year. How many of y'all feel that? Like, and even if you don't feel it, how many of you like just want to feel it? Like, like I got hope that it could be true, right? Like, and man, I'm, I'm here for it, guys. Like, I'm here for it. I'm in it. Like, if God, if God's in it, I want it. Right? I want everything that God has for me this year. I want us to have everything that God wants for us this year. And from the lobby to coffee shops to Home Depot to um, social media messages, I have, I've had a constant stream of people just kind of reaching out to me over the last few months, also expressing how they feel it in their bones that God is up to something really special here at Victory. Do y'all feel that? As well, like I've, I listen, I feel it, and and here's here's just the idea, guys. That makes me really excited, not just for the church. It makes me excited because here's the reality, guys. If God is up to something here, and you're a part of here, that means God's up to something special with you too, right? Because because here's here's our reminder, right? This is not victory. We are victory. 
right? Like, we're the church. It's not like God's like, hey, I really like that building in Atlanta. No, like, God's like, I have favor for these people, right? Like, this isn't just a place you attend. You're a part of the army, right? Like, this isn't just a place you go. This is a people that you belong to and belong to you, right? This is the place that you hitch the wagon of your life, right? So if God is up to something special here, that means God's up to something special with all of us. Right? If God's doing something through here, God's doing something through and with and in all of us. But here, here's the big idea, okay? For the next few weeks, here's a burden on my heart that I believe that God is about to, to do something special in us, with us, and through us. But here's the reality, guys. When God says go, we all need to go in the same direction. Right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing more demotivating if you're any form of leadership or maybe military and you're like, go! And everybody's like, ah, and they scatter. Right? Like we want to point all of our cannons in the same direction. We want to be rowing in the same direction. We want to be running in the same direction. There's power when we run in the same direction. And the only way we're going to be able to run in the same direction is if we have the same idea of who we are and what we're called to do and who we're called to be. So here's what I know, though, guys, is that a bunch of us have come into victory in different times and in different seasons, right? So here's what I know, even just kind of looking at the flat numbers of it all. This last year... Over 1,600 men, women, and children officially made victory their church home through membership. Like, that's a lot of people, right? But victory is more than 1,600 people spread across multiple locations. So so let me just kind of ask this. I was actually really curious. How many, many, just raise your hand, how many of you are new to victory since 2020? 2020. Yeah. I call you our, our COVID generation. Right? So a lot of you, you just know me as a senior pastor. You just kind of heard my stories. But, but if, here's maybe news to you. Victory's older than 2020. All right, it was actually founded in 1990. So here's the question. How many of you have been at Victory for at least five years? Yeah, all right, at least 10. At least 15? Oh, that's a lot of us. All right, at least 20. 22. 23? Yeah, I knew it was going to be you. Yeah, come on, guys. Listen, here's what I love. There, there, there's, there, there's, there's newer people to the family, and there's legacy people in the family, right? But here's, here's the truth of it all: is that many times we view the church through the lens of how it is when we first entered into the church. And what we're talking about when we first come into the church, okay? And since we've kind of all entered in at different times and different seasons, a lot of us have different ideas of who we are and what we're about and what we're called to do. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? Is I'm going to take the next few weeks to introduce some of us and maybe to clarify for the rest of us who we are. All right, who is Victory? What is Victory called to do? Why do we exist? How are we called to do what we're called to do? And really, what is God saying to us as a people as we move forward into this crazy world with the creator God, right? So this is our this is us moment, all right? If you're wondering who is victory, this is us, right? I I want you to know what your church is all about, 
um, the place that God has called you to, I think it's important to know the heart and the DNA of the church that you belong to. Because again, this isn't just a place you kind of like pop into once a week. No, this is like the, 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 the central base of operation of what God's doing in and through your life. And so we need to be on the same page. You need to, to be bought into this because here's the real idea, okay, guys, is that by the end of maybe, let's say like four or five weeks, okay, that, that we're gonna take ownership over this together so, so that by the end of this time, we're not gonna say that's victory. We're gonna say we are victory, okay? So if you're already there with me, let's say we are victory together, okay? So I know some of you aren't there yet. It's fine, it's fine, don't lie. Don't lie, okay? You're in church, don't lie. Let's say it together. Come on, if you can say it with your bones, like we are victory, all right? So here's the question. Who is victory? Who has God called us to be? Okay, first things first. This is where we're landing today. This is setting the tone for today, okay? Who is victory? First things first. The most important thing about victory is this. I'm gonna put it up here for you. Is that victory is a place and a people who are built on, directed by, and fueled through God in prayer. In prayer. Every significant moment, every significant moment, Move every significant breakthrough that God has done in and through victory over the last 30 plus years has been sparked in the place of prayer. In the place of prayer. Listen, the first things that the first thing that my eyes noticed when Summer and I came to victory in 1999 was the diversity of the people. Come on, you can't see. I mean, this doesn't happen anywhere. Come on, guys, except for heaven. You know what I'm saying? The first thing I saw with my eyes was, was the diversity. The first thing I saw with my heart when I came to victory was the depth of the prayer. First thing I saw with my eyes was the diversity of the people. The first thing I saw with my heart was the depth of the prayer, was the faith of the prayer, was, was the Christ-centeredness of the prayer, was the faith of the prayer. Come on, guys, even just think about it. Let me kind of catch you up on who is us, who are we. The four pillars of the vision of the church, impacting nations, reconciling cultures, building families, transforming communities, was birthed and given to Pastor Dennis and Colleen, the founding pastors of Victory, in the place of prayer. In 1989, before Victory was even a thing, right? Pastor Dennis and Colleen were driving over Spaghetti Junction, just right down the road, and God spoke to them in the place of prayer and said, put a pin in the map. Put a pin in the map because this is where the, plant, the church is going to be planted. So get this. Here's what I love about the history of this church, okay, is that God directed for a multicultural church to be planted here in what in 1990 was a 96% white county. That don't make no sense. But here's the deal. We can either trust our eyes or we can trust God in the place of prayer. And so they founded a multicultural church, even in a county that wasn't multicultural, not knowing that six years later, after the Olympics, the whole world would move to Atlanta, right? So fast forward today, and Gwinnett County is the third most diverse county in the country. So get this, God planted prophetically a multicultural church in a one-race-only county knowing the future that was to come. And if a, a couple would come in and do the heavy plowing and planting, then 30-whatever years later, a harvest would grow up of 142 different nations. Come on, somebody. But that was all birthed in prayer. 
Before this, this building was ever even built, this property did not belong to Victory. It belonged to Waffle House. And we asked, and they said, nope. We're going to make some waffles up in that place. It's future expansion. They refused to sell it. So, so, but God made it very clear to Pastor Dennis way back when. He said, no, this ground belongs to the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up there, and I want you to put a, a stake in the ground. I want you to claim it. And so he was like, all right, they told us no, but I guess if you say to do it. So he walked right back there, put a stake in the ground. Waffle House reached back out and agreed to sell the property to Victory for a million dollars underneath value. Now, here's the deal. Where was that stake planted? Right where the cross is. So whenever you drive onto the parking lot here, if you're ever offside, out of country, and you come here, you see the cross in the parking lot, here's what you're reminded of. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus Christ is Lord over this church. In the same way, rolled the stone away. God is well able to bring dead things back to life and turn no's into yeses and transform everything. Why? How? Through prayer. In 2009, God, God uh, spoke to Summer and I through dreams. We were leading Fusion, Young Adult Ministry, way back when. And God spoke to us and said, hey, it's time to do something new. And so we partnered in prayer with Pastor Dennis and Colleen. And out of that, Victory Hamilton Mill was born, right, through prayer. And then we transitioned out, and then God spoke again for Pastor Randy and Sherry Cochran to step in there and hold down the fort. But then as they were transitioning out, we were, we were like, God, I don't know who in the world. But then God highlighted Chris and Lisa Frith, and so they're there today preaching. He's preaching today. How did we know these things? Through prayer. God spoke, and God led through prayer. 2016, Victory Midtown was launched. But if you've been around long enough, you know tragedy struck really early on where the campus pastor's wife tragically died. She was a really close friend to a lot of us around here. And in the midst of that mourning and grief, we had to start leaning in to say, God, who, what are you speaking? Who are you sending? God, God, we need leaders. And those prayers collided with another couple's prayers, Andrew and Kendra Moman, who are in a transition season themselves. So today, Mo's down there preaching. Today, how did that happen? through prayer. In 2021, Pastor uh, uh, Jeff Hidden uh, reached back out to Summer and myself and Pastor Dennis and Colleen and said, hey, you planted us in 2005 up there in that North Cobb, Ackworth, Kennesaw uh, sort of area, um, but, but God's, God's leading me to bring that church back into victory. And so in January of 2022, that actually officially became Victory North Cobb through prayer right before Pastor Jeff passed away and went on to be with the Lord. And today, Darius and Melba are up there. Darius is preaching today up at North Cobb. How did that happen? Through prayer. In 2011, God stepped into my room and prophetically said this, shaking in my boots, that this house is going to be a house that impacts a million people for the gospel. In August of 2020, God spoke two words to me that, that, that changed a lot of what we were doing around here, emancipating greatness, about releasing what God put in us, out of us, for his glory in the world around us. Listen, in 2020, at the height of COVID, when everybody was taking the government bailout money, we, we had a board meeting, and we said, I don't should we take the government bailout money? I don't know. It's free money. I, anybody not like free money? We're like, we should probably take the free money, right? But then God stepped in the room, changed the tone of the conversation. We said, hey, there's probably churches that need it more, and I think we just need to put a stake in the ground and say that God is our provider over the government. And so we denied the money. That weekend, we had the highest offering in the history of victory. 
Last year, God made it clear that we needed to start house churches this year, commissioning men and women who, uh, as neighborhood pastors who own the spiritual condition of where they live, work, and play. And so we said, hey, let's just start just, just with whoever will raise their hand and say yes. So I told Aaron Bourne, who's kind of leading that, that movement, I said, I think God's saying we're going to have 50. I think we're going to have 50 um, house churches uh, is kind of like the, the first group who are going out. And uh, today is launch day. And so this last week, uh, we had 49 signed up. And I'm like, ah, maybe God just meant round up. <laughs> and then on Tuesday, number 50 said yes. And they're all in different stages. But listen, for the first time ever, ever, we actually have some house churches joining us today around the world and here locally. So let's welcome our house churches in today. Guys, God has sparked revival here through prayer. God has healed and delivered thousands through prayer. And I could go on and on and on and on. Here's what, here's what I'd say. The times that victory has thrived are the times that we prayed most fervently. And the times that we have withered are the times that we have neglected prayer. So how did victory get here today? How did we get tens of thousands of people over 30 plus years? Prayer. Prayer. Jesus says this in Mark 11, verse 17. He says, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? In other words, listen, if there's any pastors listening to this today. In other words, if Jesus' church is going to be about anything, it's not going to be about politics. Not going to be about politics. Not going to be about man's agenda. It's not going to be about what tickles ears, makes people happy. At the end of the day, if it's going to be built on anything, it's built on prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. So who is victory? Victory is a house of prayer for all the nations. And guys, here's the beautiful thing, right? If this prayer history, and again, that's just some of the highlights. If God is doing that here for the house, it can happen for you too. Why? Because this is not victory. We are victory. And God loves to lead his people through prayer, right? Prayer is one of the most beautiful gifts that we've been given. Here's, here's a few, what a few people have thought about prayer throughout the years. Martin Luther said, our people live well because they pray well. Helmut Thielich, I know a lot of us, he's our favorite theologian. The globe lives, I'm just kidding. You're like, who's that guy? The globe lives and is upheld as by Atlas arms through the prayers of those whose love has not grown cold. The world lives by these uplifted hands and by nothing else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a day without morning and evening prayers and personal intercessions is actually a day without meaning or importance. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. In fact, the great prophet and intercessory dancer... MC Hammer. He said, guys, guys, we've got to pray just to make it today. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know it's true. You know it's true. We got to pray. Got to pray. Every move of God starts with prayer. It's sustained by prayer. It ends in prayer. Every revival throughout history has ended because the people started sustaining the revival instead of sustaining prayer. So what is prayer? What is prayer? I want to give you two quick thoughts, and then I want to land with what I believe that God is specifically saying to this house. Here's the first thing. What is prayer? Prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is what we were made for. People come to Jesus and they said, what's the most important thing about all the things? And Jesus says the the first commandment, which is the most important one is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And where's the primary place that that happens? Where's that relationship primarily formed? It's through prayer. It's through prayer that we love God, that we lean into God, and that we're led by God. It's in prayer that we come to have a living relationship with the living Jesus. I love how Andrew Murray said this. He said, some people pray just to pray, and some people pray to know God. Some people pray just to pray, and some people pray to know God. And this is our invitation, guys. Psalm 27, 8. My heart has heard God say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Lord, I'm coming. Guys, don't overcomplicate this thing. Don't overcomplicate prayer. Prayer in its most simplest form is talking to God and hearing from God. Don't overcomplicate it. It's not meant to be done on a street corner. Come on, you don't have to do it behind a microphone. Come on, Jesus actually says that the the best way to do it is to close the door and just go to God one-on-one. Listen, this is about putting my ice-cold heart before the fiery flame of God and saying, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm sinful. God, I don't know whether to turn right or left. God, I don't know to go forward or backwards. God, I don't know what you're saying. Should I stay here or should I go there? God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. And then being quiet and saying, God, I've said enough. God, speak. Prayer is being with our creator, the lover of our souls. It's friendship. It's in this place with God that our heart comes alive. It's in this place that we allow our lives to be interrupted by the Holy Spirit. Come on, let me ask you a question today. Is your life interruptible? Or am I still going from A to B to C to D? I don't got time for that. I'll I'll say my little prayer in the commute, right? When I'm giving somebody the one finger salute. Hey, you're awesome. Hey, Hey, God, thank you. Love you. Is God allowed to interrupt you while you're cooking, while you're working? Is he allowed to lead you, to guide you? Is he he allowed to call you to repentance where you fall short, where you miss the mark? Are we allowing him to correct us? Are we so dead set on what we want to do? Are we allowing him to love us? Or is this just this one-sided, God, I'll talk to you whenever I want to talk to you, but I'm afraid to hear what you might want to say, so I'm just going to keep myself busy. No, no. This is 
intimacy with the king. Why? Because God is not something to know. God is someone to know. And prayer is intimacy with the divine creator of heaven and earth. It's not sage. It's not incense. It's not crystals. It's not humming. It's not saying one word over and over and over and over again. No, it's placing my life in the most humblest state before the king of glory. And listening and loving and being loved and being led. What is prayer? It's intimacy with God. Here's the second thing. What is prayer? Prayer is initiating change in the world. It's initiating change in the world. If the first commandment is to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, the second commandment is like it, which is to love my neighbor as I love myself. So what happens in prayer? prayer there is a place of prayer where it's very personal, whether it's, it's very like, I want to encounter Jesus. And then there's this other side of prayer, which we may say there's a personal side and there's a corporate side, or there's a personal side and there's an intercessory side. And so how do I love my neighbor? The best way that I love my neighbor is by crying out, oh God, would you save my neighbor? Oh God, bring salvation to my city. Oh God, help me to love the way that you've loved me. Oh, God, help me to pour my life out for the lost. Oh, God, would you save my friends, my families, my neighbors, my kids, my spouse, my wayward husband, my wayward life. Oh, God, would you break through in my city? Would you break through in my workplace? Would you do something miraculous? And we ask and we seek and we knock till it hurts, till we're tired of saying it. But God, I'm not going to give up until I see it. We're crying out. We pray for God's mercy to come to the Lamb. We, we rebuke demons in the name of Jesus. We, 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 we pray for sickness to be healed. Come on, we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, more than our will and our kingdom and our agenda. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That's what I wanna see come to pass. And listen, guys, I, I, I don't know about you, but if you've been a part of of the prayer culture here at Victory, you've seen some pretty miraculous things happen over the years in prayer. In fact, it reminds me of the story of the mouse and the elephant. Y'all don't know that story, the mouse. It's what I always think about, right? You know, some of y'all seen the, the, the picture, like how you come into prayer and you're like a little kitten. And how you come out of prayer is like, like a lion. You know what I'm saying? I always think of the mouse and the elephant. The story of the mouse and the elephant was there was this deep ravine, right, between two sheer cliff faces, and uh, there was this eternal drop-off, but there was a bridge in the middle, and so the mouse jumped on his friend, the elephant's back, and they walked across together, but the sheer weight and the power of the elephant was shaking the bridge, and when they get to the other side, the mouse looked at his friend, the elephant, and said, wow, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> That's what prayer is. Who are we? What am, my words mean nothing in and of myself, but somehow in the, or, the divinely ordained way that God set it up, the prayers of the righteous accomplish much. And there are prayers when they're attached to heaven and fueled by the name of Jesus. They can break strongholds. Angels move when we pray. Demons retreat when we pray. Kingdoms rise and fall when we pray, when the saints pray. Right? When we're not just praying for ourselves and me and mine and us four and no more, but when we actually lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest and we pour in our prayers externally and say, God, let your kingdom come out there as well as in here. God does amazing things. And here's one of our promises. God, I love this. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name 
us, we will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is our promise, guys. I'm just gonna pause right here. Let's leave that up there just for a second because I wanna revisit it. If we're really honest, (laughs) we already know we're not praying the way that we should be praying. We know that, right? Like, come on, come on. We know, we all know we should pray more. We all know that we should love Jesus more. We all know we should love our neighbor more. We all know we should take our walk with God more seriously. We all know that we should be more involved in the prayer life of the church that we call home. But most of us aren't doing these things. So the question is, why aren't the people of God praying the way that we should pray? And I think I see the answer right here. I think it's because we're proud. We're not humble. Listen, listen. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. Listen, 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 and pray. What is God saying? What is, what is prayer? Prayer is saying, God, I can't do it. Is there any more clear of an act of humility? You know, this whole thing, like pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on you. I get the heart of that. But usually what we do is we work as if it all depends on us. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the prayer thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, God said, humble yourself, lay yourself out before me and say like, God, I can't control my husband. God, I can't control my wife. I can't control my boss, my workplace. I can't change the government. Come on, I can't do anything about a demon. I can't do anything about cancer, but you can. You can. So I'm gonna humble myself and pray. I think we're distracted. He says, seek my face. Here's the deal, guys. We're giving our attention to everything else. This is the power of a fast. Is when sometimes we just need to cut things off, which are, which are draining our energy, right? The, the, the statistics today say that th- uh, adults spend three hours a day on social media. Children, teenagers spend eight hours and 40 minutes a day on their phone. And then we have the audacity to say, God, I, just, I don't have time to pray. I don't, I don't. I just don't have time to do it. I don't know. I just so busy scrolling cat videos. <laughs> we're distracted. He says, seek my face. And what? I think we're sinful. Turn from our wicked ways. I think many of us would rather have our sin than we'd rather have God's presence. And we got to just make a decision. What do we actually want? What do we actually want? And I think that we've forgotten the power of prayer because he says, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and we'll hear the land. And I believe this, guys. If we actually remember that when we pray that God was healing our land and forgiving our sin and hearing from heaven, I believe that we would pray more fervently. But I believe that somewhere along the line, we've forgotten the power of prayer. And the ultimate issue is this. Here's what I ultimately believe, okay? The ultimate issue of of the prayerlessness of God's people, myself included, is that we treat the presence of God casually. And allow me just over the next minute to land here because a prophetic word came to victory in December. And now listen, listen, I know some of you, you're new to victory. You're like, what? There's a whole lot of like big words that we're using right here, right? Encounter and intimacy and 
prophecy and all that. Listen, I was raised Presbyterian. I'm with you guys. I'm with y'all. I'm with y'all. Now listen, if, there, if, if, if anybody is skeptical about the word prophecy, I am the chief of sinners among you, okay? Listen. But I believe it's true. I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is still at work. God is still speaking to his people. God's still leading his church, okay? He didn't go anywhere, right? In fact, when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came. I mean, just read your Bible, right? And a prophetic word came to victory in December that said, remember Uzzah and the ark. Now, here's the deal. 90% of us don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so I'd encourage you to do a one-year Bible reading plan <laughs> and don't get derailed in Leviticus. Just keep going. Power through it, guys. Power through it, okay? <laughs> Power through it. If you don't recall the specifics of the story, I wanna, I wanna catch you up, okay? So 1 Samuel chapter six, there in the Old Testament. Um, for a number of reasons, really probably at the end of the day is because the Israelites were taking God's presence lightly. Um, God allowed the Philistines to defeat them and to capture the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, that was a real thing for some of you who didn't know, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant was incredibly important because that's literally where God's presence on earth resided, all right? That's, this is pre-Jesus days, okay? So that God was in one place on earth, all right? That was at the Ark. So the Philistines uh, capture it. They see it as a good, good luck charm, and so God won't be manipulated. So he curses every single place they put it, and they have it for about seven months, and they're like, oh, man, I'm giving this thing back. This is terrible. Like, I don't want this. And so they put it on an ark, and they send it back into Israel, and it lands at the house of a man named Abinadab. And it's there for 70 years, okay, at Abinadab's house. This is before Israel's really a nation. It's really like 12 tribes just kind of spread out everywhere. But when David takes the throne, he says, hey, we're actually going to become a nation, and Jerusalem's going to be the capital. And so let's go get the ark, and let's bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem to say, hey, God lives here. Here's where we catch up with the story. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. David brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala. Uh, in Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by, this is so powerful, which is called by the name. If you really get into the Hebrew, this will cause your shaking in your boots, which is called the, by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And here's what they did. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. Just kind of imagine this procession. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals, all these instruments. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nekon, uh, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. What happened next? The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Pause. This is why people have a messed up view of God. Like, God, you're not helping out your reputation here. Come on, man. Like, David takes 30,000. Can you imagine? 30,000 men singing, dancing worshiping God at the top of their lungs. They take this new cart and they put the, the ark on the back of the cart and, and these oxen are pulling it and they're playing worship music. Come on, Crystal Nicole's there singing. Summer's doing karaoke worship, you know, and so am I. It's her favorite thing to do on earth. And 
We got all the dancers. I mean, it's amazing. It's the most epic thing you've ever seen in your life. But then the oxen stumble and the ark shifts and Uzzah reaches out. Boom, he's dead. Everything stops. And David is irate. Like, God, I'm doing this thing for you. But, but it's like you don't even appreciate it. God, you killed my one of my friends. And here's the million-dollar question. Why did God kill Uzzah? I hear people debate about this all the time. The answer is actually really simple, right? When God gives instructions on how to create the ark, listen to what he says. You have to reach back before this moment in 2 Samuel, Exodus 25, verse 12. He's giving them instructions on how to build it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet and two rings on one side and two rings on the other and then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to... Carry it. So for clarity, how are they supposed to transport the ark? Numbers chapter four. So this is when they kind of had the tabernacle and they would pack up and God would lead them to move every once in a while. And so the priests, and especially these group called the Kohathites, were charged to, to, to transport these things. So after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings, this is the instruction. And all the holy articles. And when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do thee. But they must not touch the holy things, or they will die. Guys, God had already told them how to handle the ark. God had already told them how to handle his presence. God had already told them how is the ark meant to be transported. It's meant to be carried. But how did David come to get it? With a cart. Which, by the fact, by the way, is actually the same way the Philistines transported it. He was trying to do it the way the world did it. And they were pushing the ark on a cart when they were called to carry it on their shoulders. Three months later, David returns back to the house of Abinadab to get the ark. Actually, it wasn't Abinadab, it was another place, but he went back to get, to get the ark. And clearly, he's read Exodus and Numbers by now. <laughs> he was like, we should probably do, do a little bit of research on this. All right, 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. So David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, many of you are familiar with kind of like the last part of this. This is where dance like David dance, right? That's, that's where this happens. He's wearing this linen ephod. He's dancing with all his might, sound trumpets. Ah, It's actually a nine and a half mile Trip. Mo actually did the math because he likes to work out. <laughs> Which is about 30,000 steps. Every six steps, they stop to make a sacrifice. It's 5,000 sacrifices. Right? This is serious. This is intense. This is a big deal. And this time, they're carrying the Because God had already told them how to handle his presence. How do you handle God's presence? You carry it. You don't cart it. And here's the deal about a cart, guys. A cart is really easy. A cart doesn't require much work. When the ark is on the cart, the oxen are doing all the work. 
and you're just kind of there steady, giving a little push every once in a while. But we're not called, listen, to automate God's presence. We're called to carry it. And you can't cart what you were called to carry. I just feel the, the sobriety of God saying, don't cart what you were called to carry. The ark was called to be carried on poles on the shoulders. Why? Why? So important. So you would never forget that it's there. So you wouldn't take it lightly. You fast forward when they made the temple. Even today, you can go to the temple in Jerusalem. And all the steps leading into the temple are different sizes. Different depths, different heights. Why? Because they're back in structure. No, 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 no. They did it on purpose so you can't casually stroll into God's presence. No, you have to intentionally think about every step. Backstage at every single one of our campuses before you come out over the doorway, in Hebrew it says, Dalifni miata omed, which means know before whom you stand. Why? Because God's presence is meant to be heavy. It's meant to be serious. It's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to rub the shoulders. Not to forget that it's there. And here's how I'd say it to us today, guys. Is that prayer was never meant to be put on autopilot. The type of prayer that God has called us to doesn't go on a cart. This isn't putting my relationship with God on autopilot. This isn't living by a five-minute devotional. Come on, somebody. Nothing wrong with a five-minute devotional. Nothing wrong with the 30-second prayer. Nothing wrong with those things. Unless, like, unless, that, is that it? Is that the state of my, do I really, listen, am I really trying to live by a five-minute devotional when I'm giving eight hours and 40 minutes a day to my phone? When the enemy's waging World War III on the people of God? And we see the masses, their love growing cold. And I'm gonna, do a, I'm gonna do a 30 second praise break in my car and call it a day. Guys, the type of prayer that God has called us to is meant to inconvenience us. It's meant to, to cause calluses on the knees. It's, it's meant to make us uncomfortable. Listen, if your relationship with God is comfortable, it's in the wrong place. Yeah, absolutely, get into God's presence and rest there and be loved by God and be led by God. But listen, the leading of God will make you uncomfortable. <laughs> what God calls you to give up will make you uncomfortable. The type of prayer when you're crying out for your family will make you uncomfortable. And prayer was never meant to be comfortable. It's the type, the type of prayer, the type of life that God has called us to is the type of prayer that causes you to wake up early on a Saturday morning to come to pray, which is what we do here now every single Saturday morning, 8 a.m. It's the type of lifestyle that would cause you to do a 21-day fast even when you don't want to. Well, God, that's not, that's not comfortable. Good. Good. Because maybe for many of us, we're really good, nice Americans. We're not used to being uncomfortable. 
And sometimes God has to put a depth charge into our soul and break some things up. The type of life that God has called us to is to seek his will above all else. To not automate God's presence. To not fall into this rut of letting others do the work for us. Where we come in on a Sunday and all the work is done for us. And then we just kind of go home because others, the oxen carried the cart of the presence in our lives. No, we're called to put it on our shoulders. We're called to feel it. We're called to be inconvenienced by it and callous by it. Oh, but it's so beautiful and so glorious. It's so serious. And I have a confession to make to you guys. In this last season, I've wanted God's presence to be comfortable. I wanted prayer to be easy. I just kind of want to check the box. Listen, I had so many things going on in my life, a thousand different things, just like we all do. And I found myself, when I heard this word, that God checked my heart and said, you've tried to automate a whole lot of things. Just because life is going good, you don't pray. You only pray when things are bad. What does that mean about a relationship? Am I the genie in the bottle? And I feel the call here, guys. This is the promise of God, and we'll close with this. Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. Guys, today is a call back to wholeheartedness. Today is a call as we begin a new year. Maybe not for, for resolutions and losing weight. Ah, okay, whatever, yeah. Today's the day to take my relationship with God off of autopilot. Today's the day to repent for any way that I've tried to automate or put on a cart the presence of God in my life instead of carrying it with me. Today is the day to, to pick up a lifestyle of fasting. Join us, 21 days, right? What is fasting? Fasting at the end of the day is saying no to lesser things so we can say yes to greater things. It's cutting off anything that's toxic or idolatrous or trying to take God's place in our life. And we just need to, I'm not calling you to fast food. I'm calling you to put your life before God and allow God to say, hey, this has become a God in your life. Today is the day that we actually make prayer both personal and corporate a priority in our lives. And today is the day, I believe this, we start saying we are victory, not I go to victory. No, we are victory, guys. And what is victory? Victory is a house of prayer. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. And maybe prayer is a word that has lost its effect on us. But God, I pray that you would resurrect the beauty of prayer in our hearts. It's the beauty of talking to God and hearing from God and loving God and being led by God and encountering Jesus and hearing the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us for automating, being on autopilot, for just going through the motions, for listening to songs, for listening to other people do the work, 
trying to find the easy way through this all. God, we repent for that. God, any way that we've been carting your presence in our life, God, we put it back on our shoulders, not in a sense of like we're making this thing happen or I can manipulate God. No, what we're really saying is I want to be under this. I want to be with this. I want this to be with me. I want to have an intimate relationship <laughs> with Jesus. I want to be right here with it, not allowing somebody else to do it for me. God, I pray that there would be a sobriety about what the beautiful thing of prayer is. It's this, it's this <laughs> crazy privilege we have to boldly come before the throne of grace with the one who is creator and alpha and omega and righteous one and judge and warrior and chief of heaven's armies yet at the same time as Abba, Dad, and the lover of our souls. God, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the fact that we can come into your presence because the veil in the temple has been torn. Jesus did the work. Jesus lived it perfectly. And through his death, burial, and then resurrection, God, we can actually have a living relationship because through Christ, we are pure and holy. We are without fault and sin in the eyes of the Father. So now we can have this relationship. Who are we, God? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Guys, it's in this place. I, I, I feel the, the, the weight, the Spirit of God, and we need to respond to that. There's some of us in this room right now and online who say, even as this, this year begins, you know, scriptures say this, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. And maybe other things have been on the throne of our lives. We need to get those things out. And we need to put Jesus Christ squarely as God in our life. And if today is God saying, hey, today's the day, you put Jesus Christ solely on the throne of your heart. Maybe you'd even say, I need to become a Christian today. I'm stepping into faith today. I want you to lift up your hand. This is your sign before the Lord saying, I'm, I'm stepping into faith today. That's awesome. Come on, guys. No better decision you can make it right now. It's amazing. Come on. I'm so proud of you. You can put your hands down right, be, right behind that. There's others of us in here that say, I've automated. I've, I've gotten this autopilot life, and I just need to repent before the Lord for that. Let's lift our hands. That's us. Come on. I've been on autopilot, just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, it's a lot of us. It's most of us put our hands down. We're going we're gonna to lean into prayer in this moment. I want us to all pray together, okay? Jesus, today, I say you are Lord in my heart. I clear off the throne of my life. I get rid of the sin. I repent and say no to my past. My evil will my broken desires, my sinful life, I turn away from it and I turn towards Jesus. Jesus Christ, sit on the throne of my life as my Lord, as my Savior. I submit to you. You are God, eternal God, the rest of my life. And right now, by faith in Jesus, I am forgiven, 
I am free. God is my father. I belong to his family. Help me to not be on autopilot, but to walk with you, to carry your presence every single day. In Jesus' name. Just, just linger right here.